0: So, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn, so long, to Second John. Second John, we we're starting a new book. We finished last week in First John. We looked at the subject of idolatry, as James warns us in the last verse of First John, to beware, to guard our hearts, to keep ourselves from idols, and we looked at a little more deeper into the, the subject of idolatry last week in Second Kings, and today we are looking at the second epistle of John. It's a smaller epistle, a much shorter letter that he wrote to the churches, you'll notice there. There aren't any other chapters, it's just one chapter, there's only 13 verses, so this is a shorter uh, letter that hopefully we will cover in a, in a couple of weeks. No promises. Um, but John wrote his two brief letters to stress the importance of truth. And that's the theme that we'll be looking at. The Greek word for truth is aletheia. And it appears five times in this opening uh, section of 2 John. And six times in in 3 John. This is not just a, a call to recognize the truth. This is an exhortation to live it. To, to live the truth. To love the truth and to be loyal to the truth, and to to learn the truth, and to to look for truth. So this letter is filled with warnings about what will happen if we are not committed to the truth. Uh, let me speak uh, a little bit about truth this morning. Let me just lay a foundation, a platform for us before we um, head off into this, this series. This last week, a group of men and I started studying together a book called Everyone is a Theologian by R.C. Sproul. And we started looking at the negative influence that philosophies such as pluralism and existentialism and relativism have had on the, on the study of theology as a systematic. And R.C. Sproul had, had this to say in the book. He said, The relativists say, says, there is no absolute truth except the absolute truth that there is absolutely no absolute truth. All truth is relative. What is true for one may be false for another. I mean, that's that's just absurd. Even that whole sentence just sounds weird because it is weird. Uh, many today believe that, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Or if there is then it, it cannot be known. Truth cannot be known. And they argue that religion is a, is a personal preference, it's a personal experience, like one's taste in art or, or taste in music. It's a personal thing. But truth, absolute truth, divine truth, does exist. It's not relative. It does exist. And it is the most important reality in the universe, Remember when Martha complained that her sister was not helping her with with serving. Remember what Jesus' reply was. He said, Martha, you are worried and you are are bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The good part was to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn truth. And he commended her for that. There was no higher priority than for for Mary to be seated at the Lord's feet, listening to the words of truth. And there's no higher priority for us even today, folks. Now those who call themselves Christians must be committed to his word of truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. Remember, Satan is the the father of lies. Jesus is truth. Satan is lies. And his whole purpose is to try and keep sinners from understanding and believing the truth. And those who oppose the truth, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. These are the the victims of Satan. Satan. These are the victims of the father of lies. They're believing lies. And Satan is the the god of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. In a world of lies, the the church is is called to be the pillar and the support of the truth. And the church's mission is is to unshakably live and uphold and guard and proclaim the truth of God's Word. Not just portions of God's Word. Not just portions that are inoffensive to the the culture of the day. We need to be proclaiming the whole, the full counsel of God. And this, this is at the heart of of all issues that the church faces. You know, if we don't know the truth, and if we don't live for the truth, and we aren't the the pillars and the ground for the truth, then the church has a deficient immune system and will die from a a thousand deaths. I remember in Kolopo, a friend of ours was a doctor who used to work in the slum areas. And she was telling us of this tragic story of a, of a young girl who was six years old who had a, a whole um, infection of worms in her stomach. And her stomach was bulging out. It was so hard. It was clearly there to see that this, this woman, this little girl, this six-year-old girl had a problem. And it was worms. It was worms, easily treatable. And the doctor said, here's a The doctor gave the parents this this little jar of medicine, easily treatable. She just needed to take one a day, and the worms would have gone away. But the mother and father didn't heed the advice of the doctor. They thought they would use the medicine for other things. They didn't think that this was such a big problem. They didn't want to acknowledge the truth that the doctor was, was speaking and they, they gave the medicine to other people in the, in the home. And the six-year-old little girl died. She died from an from a infection that could have easily have been cured if the parents would have just heard the facts, would have just heard the truth that the doctor was speaking and acted upon it. And sadly, I think the church is, struggles with the same problem. We have the truth, but we're not willing to read it. We're not willing to to hear it. We're not willing to, to follow it. And as a result, we have a weak, anemic, ineffective church that is unable to stand for the truth. And we need to be careful of this, especially the church of ours that's living in and operating in the country that we are, in the Middle East. We cannot have a low commitment to divine truth. We cannot have an open door to those who deceive by misinterpreting and misrepresenting the truth. You know, Of all things, to be protected, the truth is most important. You lose the truth. You lose the truth about God. You lose the truth about Christ, His Son. You lose the truth about the Holy Spirit. You lose the truth about man and his sinful condition you lose about the truth about sin the nature of sin and then you lose the truth about salvation how we can have eternal life it becomes all blurred if we embrace these philosophies that the world wants us to embrace we need to be soldiers for the truth the scriptures call us to that we need to guard the truth like a soldier would guard his country with his life. We don't just preach the truth, we contend for it, as the scriptures call us to. So let's read Second John this morning as we go into this study, with this theme of truth. I'm just going to be reading from verse 1 to 4 this morning, as we look at these, first, at these four verses this morning. Second John. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes this morning, that you would help us with our understanding of your word this morning, and that, Father, you would help us, Lord, to respond as we have just spoken about. Father, we need to know truth. We don't, at any point, Claim, Lord, that we are perfect and that we know all truth. But we have the source of all truth. And we pray, Father, that we would sit at your feet this morning, keep the distractions of the the week and the world away so that we can focus on what is true this morning. And that you would transform our minds, that you would renew our minds as we embrace what is true. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So my first point this morning from verse 1 is simply God's love. John's tender words of address to the church are, are tender. They are very, um, very kind, but words of love. And this is John's dear church, but it's so much more beautiful than that. Um, we see in verse 1, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Here John is reminding a, a struggling church of, of God's love for her and of his um of, of God's love for her, but also his love for her, Christ's love for her. Um, their the circumstances were were not as as good as we, we might imagine. Going from first John to Second John. They were a struggling church. Uh, this church was probably the church in Ephesus that, that John is writing to. Um, this church had been planted by Paul, okay, the apostle Paul, not, not Martin Luther, not not Charles Spurgeon, not Billy Graham, but Paul. Paul the apostle was the, the founding pastor of this church. Um, this church um, was very much committed to the gospel at one stage. These people had given up many things for the the sake of Christ. Uh, People had even been martyred. Many of the members of this church had been martyred for their faith. They loved the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Roman government hated them for that. Because Caesar was the Lord that they were to worship, not Jesus Christ. Mothers and fathers were taken to the to the salt mines in Asia because there was a perfect somewhere in Asia where the Roman government would keep all the the people in a confined area away from society. And that's where they lived, if you were disloyal to the to the Roman Emperor. And off these people went, and of course there were orphans that were left behind. And this church was full of these children that needed to be taken care of. But this church was standing for, for what was was true. And this church was standing against the world because the world wanted them to profess anything else but the name of Jesus Christ. But in God's mercy and in God's grace, the Lord kept them. And the Lord nourished them. And John is now encouraging them. But in this church, sadly, they there was the work of the devil at, amongst them. And there was a division that happened in this specific church. You know, people were coming in and saying that they have secret teachings that they knew that the apostles never knew about, and that they had insights into the Holy Spirit that nobody had insights before, and that they had some truths. They were a little bit different about Jesus than they had ever heard before. And they began to teach these things about Jesus which, which were against the words of Jesus. They were against the Bible. They were not taught in the scriptures. And of course, they led many people astray. And some families had followed and had joined these, these false teachers. Friends were divided and eventually the, the church split and you can imagine the humiliation from the members of this church. Try and, try and picture this in your mind. You're, you're in Ephesus, and you've been standing as a witness to Christ in the midst of all of these pagans, of, uh, in the middle of all of these people who, who hate Christianity. And they always thought that you were strange, but now they're mocking you. They're looking at the church going through this terrible time and they're mocking you. And they're saying, oh yes, you're you're these new creations, aren't you? Look how you're acting. Yes, you have the love of God and the love of the Spirit in you, and you cannot even get along with one another. And they mock them. And you thought church splits were just the thing of today. Well, it happened even in the early New Testament church. Can you imagine how depressing that would be for the the real, genuine Christians who were standing for truth. In those days, you couldn't just pick and choose which church you wanted to go to. I mean, there were very few churches around that were standing for the truth. And here they were being mocked by the the pagans. They were being mocked. They were being ridiculed. And here's John, and he says, From the elder, he writes to them in a very personal way, in a very loving way. He says to them, I'm your elder, I'm your elder, I'm your pastor, I'm your your shepherd. I'm writing to you, dear chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Talking about the church. Now notice these words of encouragement that John gives, even in his greetings. First of all, he describes the church as the elect. He describes the church as the chosen of God. He says, you are the chosen Lady, she's described as the chosen, the elect of God. She's under pressure from the world. She's been persecuted by the world and even from people in the church. And heresies are dividing her, but false teachers are troubling her. And division is there. But in God's eyes, she is the bride that he chose from the foundation of the world. He chose her. He sought her. He bought her with his blood. I know we sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I understand the origins of that song. It was first written by a a Brahmin priest in India who converted to, to follow Christ. And as he followed the Lord, he gave up everything. And he wasn't willing to go back to his idols. He wasn't willing to go back to his pagan religion. He was going to follow Christ and Christ alone. But folks, we need to be careful when we sing those words. We don't decide that we're going to follow Christ. God chooses us. That's what the scriptures talk about here. He chooses us. We are elect. He's he's the one who searches us. He's the one who comes after us. Remember, while we are in our sins, Christ died for us. While we're running away from him, he goes after us. He bought us. And John emphasizes God's choice. His choice was at the beginning. Look at at verse 13. The last verse. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. So John is emphasizing God's choice at the beginning as well as at the end of this letter. And I believe John's emphasis here is intentional. It's very intentional because the reality that God chose us to be his children gives us comfort. I mean, if we chose God and things are going bad, well, we can choose to leave him as well, isn't it? But that's not the case. God has chosen him. And he's promised in his word that nothing can separate us from his love. And this should give us comfort. It gave this church comfort. They were going through trials. They were going through, through many struggles. And these churches had gone through ter- turmoil. With the teaching of these false, these false prophets. And these false teachers. Causing much confusion and division. And it would be a comfort to be reminded. That God had initiated their salvation. And he would complete What he had started. And he promises he would do that. What a wonderful truth. And the false teachers would not and could not undermine what God sovereignly purposes to do in his church. Because he is the sovereign one. Not these false teachers. Not the devil. It is God himself. It is Christ who is the sovereign one. And John doesn't just stop there. He says... And I want you to know this. I love you, brothers and sisters, in Christ. The church is described not only as chosen, not only as a lady, but she is described as loved by John as well. And all true other fellow believers. He says, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. So John is saying, I want you to know, my friends, that I love you. He's not just saying, I love the building that you worship in. They probably didn't have a building at that point. They probably met in, in little homes somewhere um, or, or in, a, in a series of homes belonging to the members of the church. But he's saying, I love the people of God. I love you. And not only that, but all true believers that that are part of you. And even though you may feel isolated, even though you may feel hated by the world... Even though there's divisions from, from within, John is saying, I love you. So here's a struggling church reminded of the love of God and of the mutual Christian love that comes with a faith family. With a faith family. I'm sure many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo. It's a, it's a powerful story of the love and determination of a caring father it's a story of fish okay a little fish cartoon fish and it's a story of being lost and then being found it's a story that can help us understand our heavenly father and and his love for us remember Nemo's disobedience it caused him to be separated from his father and there was nothing that he could do to get back on his own as much as he tried and he ended up in a, in a little fish tank in a, in a dentist's office. And his situation seemed hopeless. And his, but his father loved him so much that it didn't matter how big the ocean was. His father was determined to save Nemo. And he set out on an incredible adventure to seek and to save his son. And the Bible, folks, is, is not a cartoon story. Those of us who are Christians have a, have a story far greater than that of Nemos. The God of all creation traveled through time and space to seek and to save his children. It was initiated by him. There was nothing that we could do to reconcile with God. We were lost in our sins. But despite our rebellion, the scripture tells us that God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners, by sending his Son. So be encouraged this morning, folks. We are a chosen people. We may be peculiar. We should be peculiar. But we are a chosen people. We are chosen by God himself. We are elect by God himself. And we are loved by God himself. And we need to help each other understand this love. We need to help each other value this love. And we need to help each other to protect this love together in the the faith family that he has put us in, in the body of Christ. My second point this morning is from verse 2. For the truth's sake, verse 2. It says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So John is obviously concerned about truth. He uses the word five times in the first four verses. For John, the concept of truth centers on the person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't love them because they they look the same as he does, or they talk the same language as he does, or that they have the same background and the same history as he does. He doesn't love them because they're just naturally more likable people, because they have a nice personality. He loves them because they share the same faith. They share the same truth. The faith that is rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And notice how he puts it in verse 2. For the sake of the truth. I love you because that truth, look what he says, abides in us and will be with us forever. What's he talking about? Abides in us and will be with us forever. Well, John here is personifying truth with reference to Jesus. With reference to Jesus. This is Jesus being personified here. Jesus who claimed to be the truth. John says the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. Christ will be with us forever. And if we have wrong views of the person of Christ, it will always spill over into wrong views of the work that he did for us on the cross, on the cross of Calvary. You know, if you deny Jesus' humanity, then that means he could not have come onto this earth and been a sacrifice for our sins. If you deny the virgin birth, that means he was just a normal human like everybody else. If you deny his his deity, then you deny the very fact that he is the Son of God, sent by God. So it's essential to hold to sound doctrine on the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ. Remember the, the Gnostics, the false teachers that were spreading these false doctrines in the church at that time, believed that Jesus was not the, the Son of God. They refused to believe he came in, 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 in spirit and in flesh. They refused to believe that he died on the cross. They refused to believe that he was resurrected from the grave. And of course, that was all false. We need to protect what is true. We need to guard what is absolute truth. This week, John Zerbe sent me a link to a video that really saddened me. In the video, a young Methodist pastor was responding to the vote that the United Methodist Church took last month at their general conference in the U.S. And the United Methodist Church voted to maintain its traditional stance against same-sex marriage and homosexual clergy. And that was a good vote. But now what was said in the video was a young Methodist pastor from California saying that he was mourning this decision. And he went on to say that he believed there were no shouts of joy in heaven over the vote, but rather tears over God's heart being broken because people were standing for truth. Even more crucial, he said, he continued to say, he said, the church chose to follow a movement of retribution and restriction instead of openness and loving kindness that God is surely calling us to embrace. Loving kindness? Clearly this pastor has no biblical understanding of what loving kindness is. Of what God's love is. You know, the most unloving thing that any one of us could do is love with our truth. Is to love with our truth. You know, I love my children enough to make sure that they don't play with scissors in the streets. I'll do whatever I can to take that danger away from them. I love my children enough to tell them not to put their fingers in the electric socket. I understand what is truth. I understand what would happen if they resist my truth. And so do the scriptures, folks. The gospel truth is God sent his son Jesus in the form of a human to give his life. As a sacrificial ransom in order to save us from our sins. Not so we can continue in our sins. Not so that we can be homosexuals and enjoy the lust of the flesh. That is not biblical truth. Truth is absolute. Divine truth does exist. We cannot and we must not change it to suit Our sinful appetites. Divine truth does exist. In verse 2, John is telling these Christians, Friends, I want to tell you one reason I love you is because we share the same truth. So love without truth is not Christian love. And it is precisely that shared truth of the glorious story of God's grace. In salvation in Jesus Christ that, that brings us together. That makes us a church. Remember the word church, ecclesia. It's a gathering of believers who believe the truth of the gospel. And so John is saying to these Christians who are suffering because of their love of truth. He's saying, I want you to know this. I love you because you love the same truth. Because you love the the Saviour, I love you because you say you love the same word of God. I love you because you love the same truth. Christian love is rooted in truth. The truth of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. My third point. In verse 3. The blessings in truth. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. Verse 3 is John's word of blessing, and it's an interesting blessing. You know, most blessings in the New Testament go like, go like this. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. But this one's a little different, isn't it? Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Now, that's an interesting benediction. Why does John speak that way? Well, to show us that God's church is blessed with God's blessings along with all other true believers who are in Jesus Christ. And this blessing is from God the Father. This blessing is from Jesus Christ. And it is available to all believers who love in truth. So Christian love is rooted in the truth. The truth on the essentials of the gospel must be the basis for our fellowship and and unity. We all enjoy fellowship, and that's not a bad thing. Many of us go out to the desert together. Many of us enjoy each other's company, but our fellowship should not be centered around what we have in common. It should be centered around the person of Jesus Christ. If someone denies the essentials of the gospel, he's not a Christian. And we have no basis for true fellowship. That doesn't mean we we can't be friends, but we can't have that intimate relationship, that intimate fellowship with these people because Christ is not at the center of it. As we will see in verse 10, if someone is promoting false teaching, the loving thing to do is not to welcome him as a brother, but to pray for his repentance and to separate from him as someone promoting evil. So our love for others must be discerning. That's what the scriptures are talking about. If someone came to your door who was infected with a, with a highly contagious disease such as t- tuberculosis, TB, you would not be acting in love to your family to welcome this person to come in and to stay with you. You'd be doing an unloving thing to your family, wouldn't you? And since false doctrine about the person and the work of Christ is an is a infectious disease, it's not loving to welcome those who are infected with the disease into, into our churches. We will look more at this, this next week. But among those who truly know and love Jesus Christ in truth, we must be loving. Especially when we disagree over, over minor issues. We need to major on those things that are major, not major on the things that are minor. And the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the major. That is the gospel, folks. And we need to agree on that. And we need to disagree lovingly with the minor things. My last point this morning is there in verse 4. Living the truth. Living the truth. John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. You see John's gladness in the report of the members of this congregation who are living out their faith. And this harassed church is congratulated by John for for growing in grace grace and, and for living the truth that they were supposed to. You see, for John, the truth is not simply something that you profess with your mouth. It's something that, that you live out in your life. The truth is not only to be professed, but it is to be lived. i said it before. We saw this in 1 John. Belief always affects our behavior. Belief always affects our behavior. And Doctrinal truth in the Bible that's been implanted in our hearts by the Spirit of God will always lead us to a change, will always lead us. An effect in our lives. John Stott, in his commentary on Second John, he, he says this. He says, God has not revealed his truth in such a way as to leave us free at our pleasure to believe or disbelieve it. To obey it or disobey it. Revelation carries with it responsibility. And the clearer the revelation, the greater the responsibility to believe and obey it. And John's just pausing here after his word of greeting, after his word of blessing, now to say, I just want to tell you how it encourages me that you are walking in the faith. You're growing in grace. I see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And it, and it makes his heart glad that there are people in this congregation, despite their circumstances, that are growing in faith, that are growing in the truth. And that are living in the truth, walking in the truth. But there's a very moving word that I want us to focus on before we finish here this morning. And it's the word some in verse 4 there. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. You know, every pastor wants to find all of God's children walking in truth. not Not just some of them. And we see the heart of, of John, the, the elder here. His heart is aching. His heart is aching because not everybody is, is walking in the truth. And the very mention John is showing us is that we need to be burdened as a faith family. Congregationally, we need to be burdened by those who are not walking in the faith. We need to encourage them to walk in the faith. We need to be praying for one another to walk in the truth. We need to be encouraging one another to walk in the truth. John MacArthur, he says it well. He says, the only true basis for unity in the church is the truth of God's word that indwells, blesses, and controls the lives of individual believers. And that's why we need to be part of a faith family. That's why it's so important to be members of a church because we care that everybody walks in the truth, not just some. And we want to borrow a phrase no Christian left behind every member walking in the truth. Remember if we don't know the truth and if we don't live for the truth, just as as I said in the very beginning and if we aren't the pillar and the ground for the truth then the church has a deficient immune system and we will die from a thousand illnesses. The church's mission is to stand for the truth. The church's mission is to uphold and guard the truth and to proclaim the truth of God's word in an ever-changing world, in an ever-changing culture that will resist it That will mock it. We need to stand for what is true. We need to stand for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth that he came to save sinners from their sins. We have a mission. We need to fulfill that for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for... Your word today. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that set us free. We thank you, Lord, that we are free indeed, free from the lies of the devil, free from deception. That doesn't mean, Lord, that we won't be tempted, but it does mean, Lord, that you have opened our eyes and we know what is right and we know what is wrong. We know what is true and we know what is false. Because you have shown that to us, we have been set free, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, as we grow in truth, as we grow in our understanding of you, Lord, that you would grow us closer to you, that we would build our lives on that which is true, that we wouldn't plant and build our lives on shaky ground and build our castles in the sand that we would build our lives on a firm foundation who is none other than Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that you would grow our church as we go through this series, that you wouldn't just grow us horizontally, but that you would grow us vertically, Lord, deeper into your word and closer to you, but also closer to each other as we grow together in this journey that you've put us on. We do thank you for this faith family, Lord. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you for their love for what is true. Thank you for their love for the gospel. And I know, Lord, there are many of our families here that are not with us, that are struggling, Lord, with their rejection of what is true. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for those, Lord, that we can influence this week. Help us to stand for what is true. Help us to live what is true. And that you would overcome the darkness that is in their hearts. And that you would set them free from the blindness, Lord, and from the sin that is keeping them from knowing you. So we pray for your work in us. We pray for your work through us, Lord, for the sake of your great name and for the joy of your people. We pray this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.